You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. Okay, so I'm super, super excited to be here tonight. Um, If you don't know me, I'm Annie, Mama A, and I am super stoked that you are here tonight. Um, I believe that God has given me a word that is not just going to touch the heart of the students in this room, but also I'm praying that the leaders will be ministered to as well. Um, In fact, this afternoon, as I'm going through my message, um, God was still downloading and changing my message. Um that I had been preparing, and because I want to walk in obedience with him, um, I'm going to be sticking a little close to my notes tonight um, because I want things to go his way and not my way, which ironically is exactly what I'm preaching on tonight. Um, We've been doing this series of not my own, and tonight I'm going to be talking about not my own way. And isn't it just like God to uh, hit you? With, um, with what you're trying to teach others to walk in? Isn't that just like God? Uh, if you don't know me, um, or if you do know me, you know that I love God's word. I love it. I love what it has to say to us. So I'm gonna be reading and recapping a lot of scripture. I throw, I'm a high school leader, so I throw a lot of scripture um, at my high school girls. Um, they know that I'm, They better be in their word because I'm in my word. So I'm going to be reading and recapping a lot of scripture, but I know y'all can handle it because here at New Song Students, we like our scripture what? Chunky. So I'm going to be throwing a lot of teaching at y'all tonight, so I really need you guys to lean in. So close your eyes and let's pray. Abba, thank you for this night. Thank you that your presence has met us here. Thank you that your presence has already walked in the room. I pray that you um, open the ears and open the hearts of every person in these seats. I pray that you are with me, that you speak through me, that you use me tonight, Father God, to speak your message, to speak your love, to speak your word. Um, In your beautiful, beautiful name, all the saints said, amen. So this series, Not My Own, has been incredible. Pastor Jackson has um, given us some amazing wisdom and revelation, and when I found out I was going to be what I was going to be speaking on, I was super excited because, like I said, this is a uh, word not only for my students but for my leaders. So Matt and I are in this really cool position here at New Song Students, where um, because of the age difference in us, um, it's the same as you students and most of your other leaders is the same as like me and Matt to most of your other leaders. Like so, we could have been their youth leaders. So um, and because of that. Um, We talk, so we get to minister to not only the students, but also the leaders as well. And so because of that, I know that not only do students walk through this, but I walk through this, your other leaders walk through this. In fact, um, this is a story that um, our family is walking through right now. Um, As we walk out a, a difficult season of trusting and relying on God's way and his timing, So if you're taking notes, and you should be because note takers are history makers, the title of my message is The Waiting Room. We've all been in a waiting room before, doctor's office, dentist's office, 
Um, if you're like me, I'm on my phone, I'm scrolling. Anybody still Candy Crush? I still Candy Crush. I'm on, like, on level like 8,000 something. Or I'm playing solitaire. Um, but we've all had to sit in the waiting room before. And here's the thing about waiting. I hate it. I hate it. Ask my kids when I'm in traffic how much I hate waiting. Um, and if you're new to the New Song Students fam, you might not know this, but we have a daughter, Lily, who's sitting right here. Um, and she's not technically a student. She will be moving on up here in a couple months. Um, but she's basically been our New Song Students mascot for like four years, I think, at this point. Um, and these past couple years have been the hardest in her life. She has been battling an autoimmune disorder called alopecia, which has caused her hair to fall out. If you don't know, an autoimmune disorder is where your immune system's all jacked up, and it thinks that something is attacking your body, and so it then goes on the defensive, and it starts attacking what it thinks is the attacker. And in Lily's case, that's her hair follicles. So, but we are waiting and believing for Lily's healing, and it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to wait on something when you want it so, so bad. It's hard when you've been praying and praying and nothing is happening. It's hard when you're waiting on an answer. It's hard when you're waiting for this thing to happen when you're waiting on God. For me, waiting has this tendency to produce this tree that grows up in my heart that I don't want, where uncertainty branches out over here, anxiety over here. Um, and the thing with waiting is almost all of us are waiting on something. We all have that in common. Um, I pulled my high school girls a week or so ago, and they're waiting on anything from relationships to be mended, to healing for themselves or people they know, to what to do after high school, to breakthrough in the lives of their family members and friends. So I don't know what you're waiting on. It could be a small thing. It could be a big thing. But when I say the word wait, everybody in here probably has one or two things that come to mind. And whether you're waiting on something to come or waiting on something to pass, waiting on God can sometimes be exhausting, debilitating, and draining so tonight, we're going to look at the ultimate story of waiting and of God doing things his own way and his own timing with the story of Lazarus in the book of John, chapter 11. And generally, the messages that I've heard preached on Lazarus, they, they sprint from the mess to the miracle. But there's this whole period in between, this excruciating four days of waiting where Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, they're in, a, they're in a difficult waiting period where they ask Jesus to do something their way, but Jesus flips the script. And he seemingly disappoints them by not coming when they call him, by not coming when Jesus was, or when Lazarus was alive, but it's in order to do things his way and even better than anything they could have imagined. So we're going to start in John 11, and we're going a lot of different places tonight, so keep up. Starting in verse 1, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God 
so that the Son of God will receive glory through this. Now Jesus loved Mary, Mar- Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. I've been studying God's word. I've been studying Jesus for going on like two and a half decades now. And the more I study it, the more I'm enamored with it. Um, the more, um, I've not become familiar with it, all, with it at all. So I'm still pretty much dumbfounded by the things that Jesus said and by the things that he was able to accomplish. And this story is one of the most well-known stories of the Bible. So some of you might be in here and be like, oh, geez, this again. But our students' family has grown so much in number, so I don't want to assume that everybody has a full context with this story. So Lazarus is Jesus' friend. And not just like acquaintance, like, yeah, we went to high school together. Like, the word calls him his dear friend. And um, so he's sick. Mary and Martha send a messenger to Jesus to tell him to come quickly. They know about Jesus' healing virtue, but like I said, they're also friends. So they're genuinely just asking for his help. And because Jesus is such a good friend to Lazarus, to all of us, he says, I'm coming. And then he waits. What? Y'all ever had that friend that's always late? That's, I'm that friend. They say they'll be there at 3, then they roll up at like 4.30, act like nothing's wrong. You're like, hmm, well, well, well. Look who finally decided to show up. Well, that's what's happening here. Mary and Martha are waiting on Jesus. Desperate situation. He responds in a way we wouldn't expect. He responds with a delay. What? What gives? Anybody ever been there before? Ever felt like you were crying out to God, like you were spilling your heart before heaven and just feel like you're getting back? Um, Hey, this is Jesus. Sorry, I couldn't come to the phone right now. But if you leave a name or number, I'll call you back. Have a blessed day. Bye. But look at verse 5. Jesus loved Mary loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. So he stayed two days longer in the place. It's actually in this moment where we see that that, uh, when God makes you wait, it's not that his love for you is lacking. It's actually because of his love for you that he doesn't send the blessing right away. Sometimes God's love is on display through a delay. And what might seem like a delay is actually a divine appointment in motion. So skip down to verse 17. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus has already been, had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So there's three things in these verses that I want us to see that we need to do when we're in the waiting room, waiting on God's way and his timing. Jesus doesn't come when he first gets the message. Lazarus dies, and when Jesus finally does show up, Martha is upset, but she runs to him. The first thing we need to do is pursue God. Lamentations 3.35 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to those who seek him. How many of us have found ourselves in a storm 
waiting on him, seeking him, staying in his presence. But the longer the wait has gone on, the more the storms have rolled in. It feels like the wait is never ending. You're just not sure if you can continue to trust in him. You believe God's timing is perfect, but at the moment it seems a little bit problematic. Let me give you some advice. Don't let a season of waiting on God keep you from waiting with God. Stay active in your pursuit for him. Stay hungry for his word. Because here's the reality. If God always did what we want, when we want, how we want, then he could never do infinitely more than we ever asked or imagined. We would basically be asking him to lower the bar on his purpose for our life down to the level of our own understanding. But the Bible says that God's ways are higher than our ways. So even when we can't track where the weight is going, we can trust in the God who's leading it. So jump back a couple verses in verse 11. Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant Lazarus has died. He's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. You guys don't know me like that yet. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, y'all. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Why does God make us wait? Because sometimes on the other side of a difficult wait, God is taking you to a deeper level in your faith. Remember back in verse 4, Jesus says that Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, this happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory. How? Through it. Jesus is saying that even though it looks like it leads to death, it's actually through death that the disciples and all the others that are coming to mourn at Lazarus' graves, they are going, or Lazarus' tomb, they are going to grow in their faith. More importantly, they're going to get a greater understanding of the glory of God that they may not have understood up to this point. So God will use your weight not only to take you to a deeper level in your own faith, he will also use your weight to strengthen the faith of others around you. Most importantly, he's going to be glorified through it. Look again at verse 20. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Those are two very different reactions. And I don't know why Mary stayed back. The Bible doesn't tell us that. I can make some assumption. I can be in my little opinion box where you can't throw stones at me, and I can make some assumptions. But I know that um, when I start to get uncomfortable and frustrated in the waiting, a lot of times I don't act like Martha. I might act like Mary. Um, But Martha didn't pout or say, gee, thanks for coming now. No, it says when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. Is that what we do? When we are asking and waiting, when we feel like God is late, do we stop pursuing him? Or do we actively seek him even when the waiting hasn't ended? Even when it seems like you're waiting, what you're waiting on is an impossibility at this point. Do we seek him? Do we pursue him? He's on the way. Maybe not as quick as you want or in the way that you want. But will you run to meet him still? And look, just because Martha runs to meet him doesn't mean she hides what she feels. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been there, my brother would not have died. So the second thing we need to do 
when we're in the waiting period, when, they're in the, when we're in the waiting room, is be honest with God. Martha is saying, Jesus, I sent for you and you didn't come. If you would come when I asked you to come, my brother wouldn't have died. But you weren't here. If you've ever read the Psalms, if you haven't read the Psalms, you need to. But a lot of us might feel this way, but we don't always pray this way. Like God doesn't already know what's in our hearts anyway. Some of us are so used to wearing a mask, so used to performing or faking it to others that we do the same thing with God. Instead of being real and coming to him honestly. We're so used to trying to appear righteous because who knows what these people might say if they found out what level my faith is really on. We're so used to trying to maintain a certain image that we would rather act like things are fine than being honest when they're not. Hiding, isn't, uh, hiding the way you feel isn't going to help you heal. Hiding the way you feel doesn't make you a better Christian. It makes you a better actor. We spend so much time trying to play characters that God didn't create instead of crying out in the struggles of our reality. But look, Martha's disappointment didn't stop Jesus from coming to see her. And our disappointment isn't going to stop Jesus from coming to see us either. God knows you're frustrated. He knows I'm frustrated. He's not afraid of going there with you. He's already in it with you. Faith and frustration, it's not an either or. You will eventually have to choose one or the other, but they can intermingle. You will have frustrating moments in the waiting room. God, why didn't you come? Why didn't you heal this person? Why aren't you resolving this situation? Why aren't you healing my daughter? But will you choose faith in these moments? Like Martha does. Martha's disappointed, but her faith is greater than her frustration. And then she does the next thing we need to do in the waiting room. We need to know that he is good. Verse 22, Martha says, but even now... Even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, her, said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she replied. I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Let me make something Super clear. Martha, um, she doesn't know that Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's done it a couple times before, but never after four days. Never after four days, because there was this Jewish belief back then that a spirit or a soul, after a person died, it would rest above the body with a chance of it being revived or resuscitated. But then after three days, it's gone. So Jesus waits here on purpose. Everyone that was there would have understood. It's been four days. He's not just dead. He's dead, dead. Why has the waiting gone on so long? Why has it been so difficult? Because when the wait is over, nobody, nobody will be able to wonder how it happened or who gets the glory. It won't be explained by a natural solution they are going to know that only God could have raised the situation up. Only God could have done what seemed impossible in the moment. Everyone still with me? Yeah? Okay. 
Can we go on? Okay. I want to look at another book, another waiting period in the Old Testament in the book of Habakkuk. Everybody say Habakkuk. God bless you. Habakkuk is a minor prophet in the Old Testament. Um, and it's a short, cha- it's a short book. It's only three chapters long. Um, and he's a little different than the other prophets. Most of the other prophets, they would speak to the people on behalf of God. But Habakkuk speaks to God on behalf of the people. And in the first chapter, Habakkuk doesn't like what's going on in the world. There's a lot of corruption, greed, violence, people being lovers of themselves. Sounds a little familiar. Um, then Habakkuk gets this vision of the children of Israel being forced back into captivity, back into slavery. The very same people that God miraculously freed from slavery from Egypt is now going to allow them to be exiled, enslaved again in Babylon. Seriously? Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch uh, all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The name Habakkuk means to embrace and to wrestle. Habakkuk is calling out to God. He's still seeking God, just like Martha did, but he's wrestling with God. Then God answers him in verse 5. The Lord replied, look around at the nations. Look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. Okay, God, this is what I'm talking about. I am raising up the Babylonians. Wait, what? I'm raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. God, that is not what I asked for. We see this in Paul's life in the New Testament. Probably nobody else in the New Testament deserved to have God do what he asked them to do than Paul. And the word tells us that he had like a, what's called a thorn in his side, theologians, don't know what it was. It was a pain. Some say blindness, an addiction, anxiety, depression. They don't know. But he begged God several different times to take it away. But God spoke to him and said, no. He asked, you asked and my answer is no. Then God said, my grace is enough for you. Your grace? I want your power. If I'm Paul, I'm pushing back a little bit. I want your power. God, give Peter your grace. He denied you. Give Peter your grace. Give me your power. Thomas, doubting Thomas, give him your grace. I want your power. But God said, no, I'm going to give you my grace. It's not what you asked for, but it's so much better. Habakkuk 1.12 says, O Lord my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for many sins, for our many sins. God, I don't think you're doing everything that you could do. Habakkuk says the very same things that we say today. We believe God can do something, but he doesn't. Chapter 1 is all about Habakkuk wondering about God's goodness because life isn't going the way he wants. He's in a frustrating season, wrestling to embrace and have faith in the Lord. And then in chapter 2, we see two things Habakkuk does while he's embracing and wrestling God. He says in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. The first thing we see 
Habakkuk do is he listens. He positions himself to hear the voice of God. He says, there I will wait and see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. God speaks. God speaks through his word. If you're a follower of Christ, I beg you to be in his word every single day. Feed on it. He can speak to you through your spirit. I've personally never heard the audible voice of God, but he speaks to me through my spirit. He speaks to Matt through visions. He can speak to you through people. He can speak to you through circumstances. He can speak to you through a message. He will speak to you, and if he doesn't yet, don't panic. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's absent. Look at the book of Esther. He's silent, but he's not absent. It's, it means he's still working. Actually, did you guys know that there's this whole period that's not in the Bible, and it's the 400 years from the end of the Old Testament, the at the end of the book of Malachi to the beginning of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. 400 years. That's not in the Bible. It's called the intertestamental period. He's silent, where God is completely silent while people are waiting on their Savior. At least in the Old Testament, when they were waiting on their Savior, God was speaking. But here they're still waiting, and God doesn't speak. But God is still working in this time. Just because God feels silent doesn't mean he's absent. God did some amazing things during this 400 years of silence. The first major thing that happened was Alexander the Great. You guys heard of him? History buffs. Alexander the Great conquered the world. The entire world as they knew it back then. Why is this significant? Because it's the first time in history that there has been one common language. In those days, almost everybody spoke a little bit of Greek because of Alexander the Great. The second thing that happened during this 400 years was the Old Testament was translated into, guess what? Greek. The language that everybody spoke. Previously, it was in Hebrews until about 280-ish B.C. when the Old Testament and all the prophecies about the Messiah were then translated into Greek. The third thing that happened was this new method of learning was established called the Socratic method. Where for the first time, instead of teaching with one-way communication, uh, people were encouraged to ask questions. So they started learning by asking instead of just hearing. The fourth thing, in 63 BC, the Romans conquered the Greeks. This was um, a very unusual and unprecedented season in history where the Romans weren't fighting wars and battles. So now they had time to build roads and highways and different transportation systems that made traveling possible like it never was before. And then the fifth thing that happened during the intertestamental period was this season called the diaspora. And it was this really weird season where the Jews who didn't agree with the new Roman law uh, were forbidden from living in Jerusalem, so they were dispersed across, uh, spread out throughout the entire Roman world. So when you add all this together, you start to see the why behind the weight. God is so cool. In those 400 years, uh, people were wondering, where was God? Or what was he doing? And for the first time, everyone can read the Bible in a language they understood. For the first time, they were not only allowed, but encouraged to ask questions. For the first time, the good news of a Savior could travel through a common language across roads, highways, and through Jewish people who were spread across the entire Roman world to Gentiles and beyond. God's so cool. Lean in and wait and listen. Y'all still with me? Okay. 
Back to Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 2. Then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the message to others. So the second thing Habakkuk shows us to do is write it down. Write it down. Record what God says to you. God will speak to you. But because of the distractions of life, because of the frustrations in life, because we have a real enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, we forget or we doubt. Did God really speak to me? Write it down. Document it. Go back to it. Hang on to it. Cling to it. Believe in it. Live in it. During the fast this year, um, church, New Song Church did a, a corporate fast. And every day during this fast, we did midday prayer. And there were two days where I was, that I was able to make it for midday prayer while I was here. Um, during worship, God gave me two visions. He usually doesn't speak to me in visions. He speaks to Matt in visions. He gives me words. But today he decided to give me visions. And the first one, it was on a Thursday. And I was fasting and praying for Lily's healing this year. And I'm right here. And I'm on my knees. And I'm bawling like Mama A usually does. And... I'm praying, and God gives me a vision of Lily, and she's older, her beautiful face with a full head of curly hair, and I hear the word destiny. Like, this is her destiny. So that was a Thursday. I write it down. It's in a post-it note in my Bible. That was a Thursday. That next Tuesday, I'm right back in my spot, and I'm on my knees, and I'm leaned in, and I'm worshiping, and I'm reminding God of what he said, what he showed me. And he gives me another vision of Lily. She's older. She's on a stage like this. She's talking to a crowd of people, and she's sharing her testimony of the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, sharing her testimony to people who would have never known otherwise. Wait on God. Listen to what God says to you and write it down. Chapter Habakkuk 2.3, this vision is for an appointed time. It describes the end, and it will be fulfilled If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. The Hebrew word for appointed time is moed. Moed, it means perfect, unstoppable timing of God. His timing is perfect. His ways are better than our ways. If you're in the waiting room, remember, God's delays does not necessarily mean his denials. Just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean God's not going to do it. I love that um, Elevation Worship song, Do It Again. And some of you guys need to take these lyrics and put it on your bathroom mirror or closet door. My high school girls know what I'm talking about. Waiting for change to come, knowing the battle's won. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. Habakkuk goes on in verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple, Temple, but the Lord, but God. Even though I don't get it, even, or we, even when things aren't going the way I want or the way I think they should, but God. I don't see what I want to see, but God. I choose to trust in him. Even in the waiting, I believe that he is good, but God. I will embrace even in the waiting, even in the wrestling, even in the doubts, even in the pain. I will still believe like Martha did. That Jesus is the resurrection and the life, but God. In the third chapter of Habakkuk, it's actually a worship song that starts in verse 2. 
But there's this word in verse 1 that I don't want to uh, pass by. Um, the verse 1 is, says, This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk according to Shiganoth. Everybody say Shiganoth. Don't worry, you did not cuss in church just now. Shiganoth. What in the world is Shiganoth? Shiganoth is the plural for Shigan. You're welcome. Um, it's used only one other time in the Bible, and that's in Psalms. It's directions on how to sing a song or a song, a psalm. It means to sing with strong emotion, wild, passionate singing, high-spirited praise. It's praise punctuated with exclamation marks. Habakkuk is worshiping in chapter 3 with Shiganoth, with passion. Before um, God even did what Habakkuk wanted him to do, it's the praise before the provision. It's simply based on faith. It's praising not for the what, but for the who. It's Paul and Silas in prison praising. Before the shackles are freed, they're worshiping and they're praising for who he is. I enjoy God in the highs when I can praise him for the what, but I get to know him in the lows when I simply get to praise him for who he is. Embrace and believe that God is good. James 1 tells us to consider it pure joy whenever we face trials because we know that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. Okay, transition again. We're going to go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. He's the one that volunteers as tribute. He says, here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. He foretells God's people about their upcoming judgments and, his, and God's promises. And even before God tells Habakkuk what was going to happen to them in Babylon, Isaiah, he tells Isaiah about um, the fall of Babylon. So Isaiah 43, starting in verse 14. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sakes, I will send an army against Babylon, forcing the Babylonians to flee in those ships they are so proud of. I love when God talks like that. Verse 15. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves, and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candlewick. I want you all to hear God's tone, y'all. I love when he talks like this. When I read this passage, I hear Liam Neeson from Taken. I have acquired a special set of skills. You have my daughter. I will find you and I will kill you. He's not yelling because he has authority. The more authority you have, the less you have to yell. We watched, we went to Jesus Revolution last weekend, our family did, great movie, go see it, shameless plug. And there's this line in it, the truth is always quiet. It's the lies that are loud. God says, I will send an army against Babylon, forcing them to flee in those ships they are so proud of. They think they're so cute in their little boats. Sailing across waters I created. They think their boats can be intimidating to a people I've given a promise to. As if their boats against my word could ever hold up to who I am. I am the Lord. This is a statement of fact. It's not a suggestion. He's not trying to convince anyone of anything. It's just the truth. I am. He could have stopped right here. Because when he says, I am, the whole atmosphere shifts. 
Verse 16, I am the Lord who opened up a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candlewick. This is Israel's entire testimony. A testimony that God gave them, thousand, uh, reminded them, told them a thousand times to never forget. forget. Students, write this down. Don't forget. You guys know Ace Ventura? When he goes, and then he starts spitting. I'm about to spit some bars. Look at this. Exodus 12, 14. This is the day to remember. Each year from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. Exodus 13, 3. So Moses said to the people, this is a day to remember forever. The day you left Egypt, the place of your slavery. Today, the Lord has brought you out by the power of his mighty hand. Exodus 22, 21. You must not mistreat or oppress foreigners in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Leviticus 19.33. Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourselves. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 4.20. Remember that the Lord rescued you from the iron-smelting furnace of Egypt in order to make you his very own people and his special possession, which is what you are today. Deuteronomy 5.15, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. Deuteronomy 7.17, perhaps you will think to yourselves, how can we ever conquer these nations that are so much more powerful than we are? But don't be afraid of them. Just remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 8.2, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for those 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Let me pause right here. The wilderness is not a curse if God is the one who sends you to it. He took the children of Israel into the wilderness so he could test and vet their character. Come back. Deuteronomy 15, 15, remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Deuteronomy 16, 12, remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, so be careful to obey all these decrees. Deuteronomy 24, 18, always remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from slavery. Deuteronomy 24, 22, I'm not done. Remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 29, 16, Remember how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we traveled through the lands, the enemy nations as we left. Deuteronomy 32, 7. Remember the days of long ago. Think about the generations past. Ask your father and he will inform you. Inquire of your elders and they will tell you. I like this passage. I like this passage. If you ever forget where you're from, or if you're thinking, Annie, I'm 14. I've never been to the wilderness before. Don't think I've ever uh, asked somebody older than you, somebody that's been around longer than you. How faithful God has been. Ask somebody who's earned a few wrinkles. Because he's the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Students, can I get in your feels a little bit? You don't know everything. What? Yeah. In your lifetime, you will need reminders of how faithful God has been. I had this conversation with Zane one time. Where he's like, I don't know if I believe in miracles. I've never seen one. Son, you are a miracle. So I remind him of when I was seven months pregnant and I fell on my stomach. I go to the hospital. There's pooling of blood in my uterus. 
So Matt calls all of his family, calls all of my family, calls all of our friends, gets them praying. They rush me to the hospital, start hooking me up with IVs. I'm going in for an emergency C-section. They start around a steroids because his lungs aren't developed enough. I'm going in for an emergency C-section with a seven-month-old cooked baby. That's not enough. So they about to wheel me in to have an emergency C-section. They do one more ultrasound. All they find is a healthy uterus and a healthy baby. He continued to cook for two and a half months because he was late. I remind my kids about the time that I woke up from a dead sleep. I love my sleep, y'all. That I woke up from a dead sleep in a panic, screaming Braden's name. And I woke up and I started praying in the spirit, praying protection over him, praying provision over him, that he is the head and not the tail, that he, that he went, that God, his presence goes before him. That very same day, he had a, we got hurt in a basketball game. He fell on his head, his humongous head, hops up and says, I'm fine. I didn't hit my head. Yeah, you did, bro. I remind my kids about the perfect timing, God's perfect timing in our adoption of Lily. I remind my kids of these things. There is no way a 16-year-old knows what it is to be faithful in your sanctification and purification for 26 years for God to bring you a spouse. There is no way that a 15-year-old knows what it looks like to continue pursuing intimacy with God and his promises while All your friends around you are receiving the child that they prayed for. There is no way that a 17-year-old knows what it's like to be in a dark room, to be told that the baby that would complete your family no longer has a heartbeat. And then six months later, God introduces you to the little girl that was always meant to be your daughter. There is no way you students can fully comprehend what it is to be faithful to God unless you hear it from an older person that has walked the path before you. I've been through some things in my life. And I'm telling you, God will be faithful to you in your waiting period and in your wrestling season. I could have given you a hundred more verses where God is like, remember, remember this? Remember what I did? Hey, do you remember this? Don't forget. Hey, remember this? Remember. Hey, are you remembering? Always remember. But then go back to verse uh, Isaiah 43 where God was reminding them again of their testimony again and again and again. Verse 18, but forget all that. Forget all that. (laughs) What? It is nothing compared to what I am going to do. God just told his people to forget all that. How am I supposed to forget when you keep reminding me of what you've done for me? But when God says don't forget, he's not saying When God says forget, he's not saying don't remember. He is saying that what I'm about to do is nothing compared to what I did in the past. It won't even be comparable to what I've done. We can never forget what he's done. But we must also forget that he's not done. What he's done is not all he wants to do in you, through you, to you, for you. God is not done. Martha knew that Jesus was good and capable of doing miraculous works. But raising her brother from the dead after four days was beyond her imagination. Band, if you guys want to come up, and as they come up, I want to share with y'all about a word that Hannah Edwards had for me a couple weeks ago. I wish she was here tonight. 
um, she had three dreams about me, three nights in a row. And the first dream, I was getting tattoos in all these dreams. So, Jackson, I need the number for your guy, I guess. Um, the first night, I'm getting a tattoo of a cocoon. I think on one of my calves or shins or something. The second night, I, got, I was getting a tattoo of a butterfly on the other calf or shin, whatever. And then on the third night, I got a tattoo of a butterfly flying. God loves to turn caterpillars into butterflies. But there's a purpose to the cocoon. And this wouldn't be a New Song student's message without a quote from the goat, Charles Spurgeon. He says, the longer the blessing is in coming, the richer it will be when it arrives. That which is gained after a desperate tug or awful struggle, and I'd insert a difficult waiting period, is a full-weighted, precious blessing. The blessing that cost us the most prayer will be worth the most. Students, will you guys stand with me and close your eyes? Altar ministers, if you guys want to come up. Students, are you pursuing God while you're in the waiting room? Are you being real with him? Are you trusting him despite what you see? How willing are you to choose faith over frustration? How willing are you to seek Jesus in the middle of a long and difficult waiting season? The soft, somber music will start playing behind me any minute now. This series has been amazing with not my own. Guys, us leaders know what it's like to be in a waiting season. A lot of us are in it. But we also know how good he's been for us in the past. Thank you.